Welcome to the LifePurpose.com podcast. The number one podcast in the entire cosmos for empowering and inspiring you to live your life's purpose. My name is Hema Alman. And I'm Gabriel Serra. And today's episode is about overcoming your own psychology to live your life's purpose. Last year, you were at a very low point in your life. You had suicidal thoughts and it was a very dark time for you, wasn't it? Yes. Now looking back at this time, at that time, what do you say are or were the most significant and contributing factors that got you out of that dark place and got you back on track? Psychology. It was all how I thought. I, when we started the whole trading journey in the trading service and that whole experience, I was working on trading seven days a week, 10, 14 hours a day. And then this trader all of a sudden ditched us on the last call. We couldn't confirm some of the things that we needed to confirm. And then it would be months where I was on my own to figure it out. And I did, but then there was that question of, well, I, I'm only getting X percent of the move and I and I know that I'm capable of getting X, X percent of the move. How do I know where the price is going to go next? I had to find that out on my own through God and through the use of psychedelics. Like this was a constant thing for me last year. And in the process of doing this, I remember I kept saying a certain word phrase to you if you remember that as well i kept saying i just want to be left alone i just want to be left alone i just want to be left alone and then shortly thereafter you moved out and so i was alone and in that period of darkness because it was the winter time and everything that's when i really started to feel at my lowest there was no one here it was just me and it was me like having success with trading but then self-sabotaging it and so like whatever i would make i would like give it all right back to the markets and what got me out of that was it was a couple of things actually it was it started off with the cacao when you when you had some cacao here and then all of a sudden like the voice told me to drink some cacao it also happened with like for a couple of nights I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see the shadow of Jesus on the wall where we have the wall decal in the living room that says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And then it was also me taking Sananga again. That really helped me get out of that funk. Really helped me get out of the funk. And I remember that time where I hadn't taken it in a few months and then I did. And those first two drops were like, so stinging but they were so clearing from my eyes and it was like I woke up out of a out of a fog or something so those were some experiences that contributed to having the turn point the turning point in my life where I just had these like non-stop thoughts of killing myself like oh you're a loser you can't even do this right you took all these psychedelics you you gave it all up uh, your old life in New York City to do this and you can't even succeed at this blah, 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 blah. and I was really 
that voice in my head was really beating me up. And the turning point was when I... Beating you up. The yeah. voice in your head was beating you up. Yeah, the voice in my head was very critical of my successes or failures. But beating, shouldn't it... it the right term is it, it was beating you down, not up. Yeah, sure. However you want to look at it. I mean, I think it's synonymous. Like, you can say either which way, beating you up or beating you down. But either which way, this voice in my head, this critical voice in my head was torturing me every single day. Would you say it was your own voice? No. It was absolutely other people's voices. Sometimes it was mine, but it was more other people's voices. And when I think about it, what really changed my state from being like really down at that time and feeling like, damn, I can't even be happy for Hema. I can't even be like a happy person around Hema because I'm so obsessed about this thing. Like I was so obsessed about this trading thing and I, I still do enjoy it. I still would prefer to have success, massive success with trading for sure. But there was that voice in my head that was like, damn, another thing that you failed at, another thing that you suck at. You're not good. You're what good are you? Why are you even here? Why are you even alive? And I, like I mentioned on a couple of episodes before, when I was a kid and I was watching uh, the Power Rangers, which was a very popular show back in the United States. I don't know if that was popular yeah. over here. Oh, okay. So I was watching the Power Rangers when I was a kid. And I remember this one Saturday in the United States, in New York City, in Brooklyn, they had a like a kid's morning program where they would air all these shows. So I would watch that. And it was during the Power Rangers where I was sitting on the couch and I was watching the Power Rangers. And all of a sudden I hear a couch, what sounded like a couch dropping on the, on the floor outside of the outside of the window and it turned out that there was a guy that I knew that he slit his wrists and he jumped off and he committed suicide and while I was going through so I I basically held in that traumatic experience I didn't have anyone to talk to or express this with my biological mother she didn't talk to me about it or anything like this it was just more like oh I'm here and I'm like stuck with this and then I also told you about and I also mentioned this on the podcast when I took San Pedro I was reliving a crime scene that I was at where there was like these two guys they they got stabbed and like the police let us through for whatever reason and there was just a whole bunch of blood everywhere and so last year when I was at my lowest and I was having these suicidal thoughts I know that the suicidal ideation stuff I inherited it somehow I also had a situation with my cousin she wanted to kill herself too and I've talked about this in previous episodes and probably also on the blog but it was in those moments that I was reliving this psychologically in my head last year as I was having these as I was having this downtime so there was this voice in my head the psychology, the mind, the ego, whatever you want to call it. But there, the, my psychology was really beating me down. And I would constantly have these visions of, or these thoughts 
of let me ask Helma to for help to help me kill myself. And I was going to literally ask you, I was really seriously, like at some point it got really serious. And I was going to ask you to purchase me a gun because what I was going to do was I was going to go into the forest and I was going to go deep into the forest and I was going to shoot myself in the head. And I would see like the vision of this. But then by God's graces, I came across that book and I also did the chaplain training in just the right time. And I had the Sananga and I had the outer worldly experience with the apparition of Jesus. And I knew that that was something that I inherited. So it was something that I was struggling with for quite some time. And this is also when I went to Costa Rica to take Iboga to, to work through this stuff. And I, yeah, I was, I, when I had read that book, It Didn't Start With You and The Body Keeps the Score, it made a whole bunch of sense. Like somehow, some way I inherited this uh, desire to kill myself, or maybe it was that I couldn't, I couldn't have therapy when I was a kid, when that guy had killed himself. I still remember his name. And maybe I just didn't have someone to talk to about this. And so this was stuck inside of me energetically. This is an emotional, an emotionally trapped trauma within me. But this emotionally trapped trauma really psychologically messed me up. When I would tell you, hey, I just want to be left alone because I want to figure out the trading is because it's not because I wanted you to not be around me. I literally just wanted to figure this thing out. And I started to have the voices in my head. Like, I don't know if you would call them demons or whatever, but I would have the voices in my head. Like, that's when it really started to come up. And it was like a lot of frustration. And then it, it got to that point where I had those visions of wanting to shoot myself in the head and then see myself in my own pool of blood, etc. At lifepurpose.com, it is our purpose to support, guide, and empower you, the big ones, in living your life's purpose. To receive powerful daily meditations and mentoring for your life's purpose, join our premium membership and claim your seven-day free trial by clicking the link in the description or visit lifepurpose.com directly. And now back to the episode. Now looking back at it a year later, what do you say was the strongest factor and the strongest force that got you out of the dark hole? God. So getting to my story now and wrapping up the story is there was around that time when I really, it was really intense. It wasn't helpful when you said, hey, you need to leave Claude and further or whatever. I knew what I had to do. I just knew that I needed more time to get to that stage. But it was around that time when you're, you and your mom, you kept insisting, hey, do the new tie, get out of Clyde and Fur. That was, I don't know if it was helpful and didn't feel helpful for me, but what was helpful and what helped me get out of that was the following. Days leading up to a mushroom ceremony that I would have, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see the apparition of Jesus. Jesus started talking to me. And maybe I'll write about this one day in a book or something like this if I become a, a 
quote unquote su su success according to society standards. But Jesus came to me and Jesus spoke to me. And the energy of Jesus, as I remember it, was incredibly peaceful, incredibly peaceful. And we were, he was communicating to me in my head. Call that me losing my mind. I don't, it doesn't matter at this stage, but that's what I experienced. I experienced Jesus and I knew at that point that Jesus was real for me and that Jesus was talking me through this and God was also with me. And that's all I had to do was just heal myself because I'm my own healer. I'm my own shaman. So I had that experience with Jesus. A couple of days later, I started taking Sanango or around that time I started to take Sanango, which, which are these very powerful eye drops they're not psychedelic but man they really sting and they they do something for you like mentally so i took that i also took uh mushrooms one night shortly thereafter and i remember the turning point how did i get myself out of this to answer your question i had that mushroom experience i was drinking the cacao with the mushrooms and then at some point in that mushroom experience, I just like broke down in tears and I was just like crying out to God and I got on my knees and I said, God, please, like I'm tired of this. And I started just saying, God, like, please help me through this. I want, I want to speak you. I want to live you. I want to breathe you. I want to be you. Please just help me through this. And I think also a, a highlight point around this time, too, is that I started reading this book by Garen Jones. Are you familiar with Garen Jones? So for those of you that aren't, Garen Jones is a public figure, an influencer. And he came up with this book, Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life. I'm not going to get too much into this, but he had a really interesting story where he was in prison a few years ago. And now he went from being in prison to being this very influential person. So anyway, I read this book and then around this time, change your mindset, change your life. This is what I had to do too. So how did I do this? From that time where I spoke to God and I had the experience with Jesus and I read that book, Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life, I really took the words that Garen was saying as sincerely as I could. And obviously, this is nothing new to me. I've been in the personal development space for years, for years. But I wasn't applying it to the point where I was living it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So how did I do this? I had to overcome my psychology. So the first thing that I had to do was I had to start exercising again, because I think at that time I was not exercising so much. And also, because I was feeling so down, I was not feeling so hungry. So I would, at that time, I was eating every other day, every 48 hours, just to be alive. My workouts were very short, and I would, like, sprint in the forest and do some pull-ups and stuff. I got really ripped, as you, I, I don't know if you remember that time with the waterfall, but I got really lean and muscular. So what I did was I started to exercise a little bit more. I started to eat, force myself to eat, and I started taking the Samanga more. I started having more cacao. I took, I think, mushrooms another two times in that three-month time span. And I started 
focusing my energy a little bit more constructively. So I, I, I think at this stage, when I look back on it, I lied to myself a little bit. I lied to myself because I was in this year, 2022, when I was really going through this huge learning curve with trading. And like I said, I would have some successes, but then I would also have these failures. I would just tell myself, Gabe, what if it changed in two weeks? Like, what if it, what if you got it in the next two weeks? And then two weeks would pass and I would still say the same thing. And then two weeks would pass and I would say the same thing. <laughs> Ironically enough, it did come to that point where I did figure out a lot of very interesting things about the market just from observation and studying and backtesting. So to answer your question, I know that that was a long-winded answer. I know I went on a little bit of a ride with you, but that's just to illustrate what I did. I took Samanga, I took Magic Mushrooms. I had that very wild experience with Jesus for a couple of nights. I had the experience with God and the mushrooms. I had the experience with the cacao and the mushrooms. I worked on my exercise. I worked on my mindset a little bit at a time. And I started to tell myself a different story. So that's how I overcame my psychology. Thanks for illustrating more on that. You know, this is actually something that I do want to bring up is that you had said it just before we started recording that you were surprised at how many episodes now have been uploaded for the podcast. What is interesting, though, is that I have been checking out the analytics for the podcast and do you know that the number one highest downloaded audio podcast on the liferivers.com podcast to this day currently, do you know which one that is? It's the one where I'm talking about the suicide experiences. From suicidal ideation to living your life purpose. I s that is the number one downloaded podcast. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because when we recorded that and we came up with the title, I was receiving that so many people need to hear this. Having my own aunt um, starving herself to death because she was so unhappy, it's just an example. And we have taken over the place where she used to live. And I, I was just able to feel and walk a little bit in her shoes from being here and just have, a, have an imagination what she may have gone through. So your aunt, in essence, killed herself. She starved herself to death. Literally, legit. And like I was just telling you, I checked the analytics of this business episodes that we talked about business and artificial artificial intelligence was the number two and how artificial intelligence will affect your life's purpose. That was the number two. The number one was shifting from suicidal ideation. Those were the two most downloaded episodes to date I'm on the lifepurpose.com podcast. Not surprising. And, you know... Just like you, like that is incredibly, for me at least, it's very intense. It was very intense for me to put myself out there and to talk about those experiences and to talk about what, like I've been suffering with this suicidal ideation thing for, for a long, large part of my life. I remember when I was like eight years old wanting to kill myself. And that's because of the inherited stuff or that's because of the stuff that I saw. And I've been struggling with this for my whole life. And I hope that I've 
completed this topic because obviously this wasn't mine. But to know that there's so many people that were interested in that episode tells me that we have to go in this direction more because this is the pain that people feel. When people feel, and I touched upon it on the last episode, you had asked me the question, Hama, why did you get yourself into that situation? I did not feel a sense of purpose. I felt at some point, I felt useless. I felt like I couldn't fulfill what I was supposed to do. And that made me feel useless. That made me feel like I did not have a purpose. Mm. And I'm thinking now that the people that are have downloaded that episode, maybe they feel that too. If they're struggling with depression or anxiety or any other type of mental disorder, why? Is that their thing that is truly them or did they inherit that and they're not aware of it? And does this experience or whatever the trauma is that they may have experienced cause them to feel suicidal, cause them to feel depressed, and cause them to not have a sense of purpose? I think I had shown you or talked to you on one of the podcast episodes about a video that I watched about Ikigai and how in Japan, I forget exactly what the island is. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's Osaka, but there is a part of Japan where they have like the oldest people, like the highest record of like old people living in this specific island. And they're talking about their Ikigai, their sense of purpose. Having a sense of purpose makes you feel like you belong. I am bringing this up because now getting back to your aunt. Your aunt, yes or no, she had some conversations with you where she basically revealed she did not feel she had a reason to live. She did not have a sense of purpose. Correct or incorrect? Correct. Was there anything else that she mentioned during this time about feeling hopeless or without purpose that you think contributed to her making that decision to end her life? I see her face right now. And it's like, it's like she says, hey, please share this message on my behalf. She's saying, I was living my life based on others' expectations. And I never got to really discover what makes me come alive. Because I wanted to be loved and appreciated. And I went outside of myself to receive the validation from others, which I never received. Your aunt, she, how would you say she lived her life? Did she do what she wanted to do or did she do what she thought other people wanted her to do? Second. And you would have conflicts with her at times because she would insist on you to go to school and do what everyone else was doing as opposed to doing what you truly wanted to do, correct? Yes. Yeah. And she also revealed to you when she was in her final days, she revealed to you how she admired you for doing what you wanted to do with your life, correct? Yes. In the last days, all the distortions came to the light and the truth was actually revealed. And I knew it. I always knew that her projections onto me for living life on my terms and making my own choices and decisions and her getting triggered by that, I knew that the underlying truth about that was that she actually wished she could do something similar. 
and that she perhaps envied me for that. And yes, in the last days of her life, she said, you know, I always admired you for doing what you chose to do, what you wanted to do, and being brave enough to walk your own path. How did that make you feel when she said that? I was neutral to it, but yet I was thinking to myself, I already knew that because I was able to sense beneath and between her words when she, I mean, the time where she expressed that she, she was criticizing me for walking my own path and not going, I don't know, I'm just losing my thought right now. I always knew, even in the times of her criticizing me, that underneath that criticism, she actually admires me. So I wasn't surprised about that. And that she wishes she could have done what you did, I'm sure. I think there's a lot of people like that, where yeah. they are living in their parents' footsteps or living out their parents' dreams because their parents never got to do this or their parents it insisted onto them or enforced this idea onto them that they had to live their life secure or financially stable I think parents, some parents, not all parents, but I think some parents project that onto their children and they don't do it maliciously or intentionally. I think they do it because of the experiences that they had growing up and what they experienced and the hardships that they went through and they don't want the same thing for their kids. So they try to do something in their own psychology to make them go a certain way so that they don't end up like them. Does that make sense? So, for example, I don't know how your grandfather was with your aunt, but if I can only imagine, maybe the conversation growing up was go to school, get a good job, get benefits, get whatever. Last Friday, I sent out our newsletter, the newsletter to the lifepurpose.com newsletter. And in that newsletter, I talked about finding your spark because that was the workshop that you were doing for that for the last Sunday yesterday so over the weekend on Friday this last Friday I sent out that newsletter finding your spark and in that newsletter I talked about remember the Disney movie soul the, the Pixar movie soul and I was going through the summary of it and the summary of it was as follows there was the main character Joe Gardner and his mom wanted him to be a high, um, public school teacher so that he could have a decent job and benefits. But in his heart, his dream was to be a professional jazz musician. Yeah, his creative, pursuing his creative expression. Pursuing his creative expression, pursuing his purpose. And in the entire Soul movie, what I remember was that they were emphasizing finding your spark finding your purpose, finding the thing that you're passionate about. Such a great movie. Absolutely great movie. Everyone should check this out. Much like you were saying with your aunt, she was living her life in such a way that she, at some point, did not recognize who she was. Uh, can you tell me, was she on antidepressants? Was she constantly anxious? What, what else do you know about her that she revealed to you? Would you say she was at peace with herself? No, she wasn't. I just know that for the last 10, 20 years, more or less, before she died, she was suffering with uh, bulimia. 
so which is an eating disorder and she was very very thin and yeah mm-hmm. i just knew that she lived by herself and she once mentioned that she's supposed to meet a new partner in england and start a new chapter but that never happened and yeah she wasn't married or in any relationship she was pretty much just by herself she what did she do for her career she used to be a radio speaker and why did she stop that it was too stressful for her the environment and the job itself so what was she doing after that i can't remember i think afterwards was when she got diagnosed with her eating disorder and she was in hospital for a while and she moved here to Klagenfurt and i think ever since then she never really had a full-time job again and i know that for some time for the last years before she passed she was working occasionally um with some in some form of a hospital with patients um assisting them with speech therapy something like that and she was assisting them in processing what they have gone through and their traumatic experiences through writing and expressing what they have gone through in words and with speech and with storytelling and she was assisting them with that and she was also volunteering in a meditation center here and there which i knew they had some uh turmoil and some arguments there so she never went back to that meditation center even though that was basically like a second home to her which then became foreign to her as well and i believe all of this comes back down to belonging i think she was in a search of belonging to something or to someone but never actually found that what that is and i believe that is the case for a lot of people like yes you may have a physical home but do you actually feel at home you may have a physical body but do you feel at home in your body do you feel safe in your body you may have so many relationships left and right but do you truly belong do you feel a sense of intimacy and belonging with those people or how superficial is your life and that also brings me down back down to the beginning when we started this podcast why is it that the podcast episode that we labeled from suicidal ideation to a life of purpose got the most downloads in a world where we use technology and social media it is so easy to get tricked by people putting up stories and videos and pictures of them with a pretending smile and with a lifestyle that they want you to see it's easy to highlight the good in your life but how many people have actually skeletons in their closets that they don't show to anyone and pretend that everything's okay pretend that everything's fine and that's was the case for your aunt too yes that is the biggest factor that i have observed from people who have suicidal ideations or who have actually committed suicide a lot of them from my understanding they were pretenders for a long time they were pretending that oh i got it all together i'm fine i'm good don't worry about me i don't need help but we all do we all do need that kind of help at times 
And I think that the biggest help that we need is, ironically enough, the need to be of service. We, like, okay, so here's what I mean. My biological grandmother, six months before she passed away, she was getting really ill. Or maybe like even a year before she passed away, she was getting really ill. And she was, she was on the couch. At some point, I could tell that she had lost the will to live and the desire to live. And I strongly feel, because she never talked about it, but I could sense that she didn't have something to do. She didn't have something like some type of purpose. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is ironically enough, like, I think when it really first started for me, it's like, like, why am I here? Why does God have me here? Why am I alive? And I would see her and she would be like wanting to do something, but she couldn't, she didn't have the physical strength. And I think she lost the will to live. And I think that's the same thing too, for your aunt. Like she was so, and here's the other thing too. You asked me earlier in today's podcast episode, what was, how did you change your psychology or how did you overcome that suicidal ideation? What got you out of what got this? I had to get over myself and I leaned on watching, ironically enough, YouTube videos of athletes. And for me, the same point in my life has always been wrestling, ironically enough, because when I was going through the homeless time and I was going through these rough spots, I would watch like wrestlers like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Undertaker, Mankind, Triple H. I'd watch all these guys. And there was something about their superhero attitude where they were like strong and they had the muscles and they, they seemed like they had it together that that gave me a source of strength but what i noticed in one of the most i think profound moments in that time was when i watched an interview with kobe bryant he was with the los angeles lakers and he had a hell of a nba career but i remember this one episode where he was saying on the interview he said that he cannot make excuses for not delivering or not for doing his job. And if there are times where he doesn't want to do his job, he's like, hey, man, you got to get over yourself. Like, your team is depending on you. People are depending on you to perform and to do your thing. And in that moment, in those moments especially, I would think about like, man, I'm letting you down because you want to build lifepurpose.com and I know what you want to do and I see, I can see it in my third eye what, what you would like to do and we can do that 100%. But I cannot be able to help you manifest lifepurpose.com how you want it to be if I kill myself. So it was also that moment of like, this is a sense of duty. I think that also helped me really get through that time. It was a sense of duty. So having a sense of purpose, I would also say is having a sense of duty. It's having a sense of mission. It's having this desire to serve something more than yourself. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly from your aunt, she was so wrapped up in her world and feeling so sorry for herself. At some point, she was not concerned about how can I help someone else? Yes. make someone else's life better. Wow, yes. Yes, this is something to highlight. And this is also a common pattern that I noticed with people who are having suicidal ideations. 
they make it all about themselves. Yeah, exactly. And so at this time, I was it's thinking, it's a it's like throwing a pity party for themselves. Exactly. And so I recognized for myself that this is what I was doing. Mm. Okay. I was constantly complaining like, oh man, this and this and this. And I was constantly bringing up the trading experience and like how I have to waking up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning for the trade signal and going crazy. And at some point, like after I watched this Kobe Bryant interview where he was like, get over yourself. I was like, wow, I got to get over myself. Like I have to get over myself, you know, like, and I think this is the, the perfection of this because now a year later, I can talk about this having gone deeper into that suicidal topic and been able to work with the mushrooms and the semenga and the hape and the cambo to figure out whatever this was. And I don't think it was mine. I think that I inherited this. I think I saw this. I think I was traumatized by the suicidal stuff that happened when I was younger. But because I had no one to talk to, it was stuck with me for years. And I, there was no parent to tell me or no Gabriel at the time to tell me like, hey, yeah, you in, you inherited a trauma and it's actually better to talk about your trauma, the, the thing that you experienced as soon as possible. So if you combine that with feeling sorry for yourself, having the traumatic experiences, not feeling like you have a sense of purpose, not putting yourself out there, I think that all contributes to wanting to kill yourself. And just before we started recording this podcast, today's podcast episode, I went on a walk with Mama. And earlier today, as soon as we finished our level 10 meeting, I did something for you that would make it a lot easier for you to schedule podcast interviews with guests and not have to go back and forth. I set up a Calendly account for you. And I remember the story of the founder of Calendly, the scheduling app or the scheduling meeting software. And this was years ago. His name is Tope. I forget his last name. He's from Nigeria. And he came over to the United States. He invested, I think, $200,000. He invested his entire life savings into Calendly because he had a vision and he believed that this would be something that could be valuable to the world. Which it is. Today, 10 years later. 10 years later, really? 10 years later. Oh, wow. But at the time, he almost went bankrupt, I think, from what I remember. He invested his entire life savings into Calendly, and he wasn't getting the traction that he wanted to. Now, Tope, today, he's a billionaire. From Calendly. From Calendly. Oh, wow. Calendly is valued at $3.1 billion, and it is supposedly the number one scheduling app in the entire marketplace in the entire because it's so simple and i remember it is yeah i remember when i first started using it it was like it was so simple it was so easy it was like no this is great you know had he given up on himself had he felt sorry for himself we would not have calendly today and calendly not for nothing that makes a huge difference for me at least and for what you're going to be doing with scheduling podcast interviews that makes a huge difference now, someone could be listening to this and say, like, well, that's just a business app or whatever. But for some people, that's a time saver. 
Yeah, and it's not just that. It's also what the founder, what's his name? Tope. Tope does with the wealth that comes from it. Had Tope felt sorry for himself when he was in the process of getting traction for Calendly. Calendly would not be what it is today and would not have made an impact in the online space to the extent that it has. Have you ever once thought of quitting on LifePurpose.com? No, not that I recall. You say that kind of like hesitantly. No, because I'm, I'm really now thinking back. Was there a moment where I intended to quit on LifePurpose.com? No. Okay, was there ever a moment in your life where you wanted to kill yourself? No. How is that possible? Because life is meant to be enjoyed. You see, and that's what I'm saying. Like there is, there's a lot of good in this world, in this lifetime. It's just, I think, especially the last two, three years, we were collectively confronted with a lot of shadows that needed to find salvation. And it's all coming out of the closet. That's what I'm saying, you know? The skeletons that you hide in your closet, they cannot sustain themselves very long because it's all gonna come to the light. And we are meant to thrive individually and collectively, but in order for that to happen first, we have to face the dark sides of our lives and come to peace with it. In these last five years, what were the shadows that you had to address, that you had to come to peace with or find peace with so that you could overcome your previous psychology or your previous psychological barriers? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'd say the biggest chapter of darkness that I needed to confront were unresolved generational family issues. Call it generational trauma. That was in my field. That was in my energy, which was never spoken about. So I'm talking about, you know, finding out that your great uncle, two generations back, stabbed someone to death. And no one ever talked about it. It was just shoved under the the carpet, it was just stuffed in the closet as a skeleton. No one ever knew about it. But then three generations later, you have a child being born with the name of Hema, and she consistently has nightmares about someone stabbing her, as an example right now. Where does that come from? But that's not legit though, right? It's not the real story that I have, but just to give you an example of what I mean by coming to peace with generational trauma. And as our generation, we are the millennials, we are the chain breakers. That's what I believe. I believe that we are here to end the previous cycles of suffering and of um, self-disempowerment of our ancestors. We're here to break these cycles. And part of that cycle, part of breaking these cycles is to confront generational family trauma that has been passed on from family to family. And if that's what I needed to do. You also had issues with your dad. Yeah, so obviously there are personal, there are personal things from my own childhood or when I was a teenager where I needed to go back uh, to that time and make peace and forgive, do a lot of forgiveness work with parents, with relatives, with partners. It's about, it's about doing, freeing the shadows and making peace 
with my own shadows from this lifetime, but also sometimes past lifetimes too. Specifically in this lifetime though, because when I met you, you also did have some, I would say maybe some self-sabotaging tendencies. And I think as well, Hema Alman five years ago would have been completely incapable of building a business today. What were some techniques that you incorporated over the last five years or some things that you did over the last five years to overcome your psychology? Where do I start? From using psychedelics as a tool to help me heal and clear to techniques like breathwork, yoga, meditation, EFT tapping, uh, working with uh, spiritual guides and mentors and um, remembering how to use my own spiritual gifts to clear out distortions, just to name a few. We also did the magnetic therapy stuff a lot. Yes. A lot of it. Yes, but right. And um, it was only two years ago or so where I was introduced to another form of powerful effective clearing and healing with sound and with vibration and with intention. So it got easier over the time. The things that triggered you before, do they trigger you today? It depends what it is, but I would say for the most part, I have released a lot of triggers. How do you know you've overcome your own psychology? How do you personally know that you've overcome your own psychology? When you see that you make progress in your life. How does that look like for you? How do you measure progress in your life? Mm, just the fact that we have Life Purpose come up and running. We have traction. The website looks neat. And we are consistent with what we do and with our creations. That alone shows me that I have overcome my psychology from my past. The way that I measure it is how I feel about those topics. Like if they keep, if they come up again, you know, like if the universe, I don't know if you believe that, I kind of have seen that correlation that the universe will sometimes test me. And I've noticed that if I overcome a topic, the universe will re-deliver it a couple more times just to see where I'm at and see if I've overcome it. Yes. And if I quote unquote fail the test, I got to keep working on it. But if I then pass the test, it's like that topic basically goes away. Right. So that's how I kind of measure it. I used to measure things, my progress in terms of the financial successes. So whereas you see progress with lifepurpose.com and that we're getting downloads and, and the analytics are showing people are coming to the site, I still don't measure that as the progress. I measure the progress as how many people converted into becoming actual paid members. Because remember, we are running a business and at the end of the day, if we don't have enough cash to basically cover our business expenses, there is no business, right? But I think that that's an outdated way of measuring success now. I think the new way for me of measuring the progress is how many people's lives did we impact, you know? Yeah, and it's also, you know that you have overcome your own psychology when topics that used to trigger you leave you at peace. Yes. I would also say you know that you have also overcome your psychology when you're not 
thinking the same that you used to when you evolved your thinking? What are some ways that you can suggest to the big ones to overcome their psychology? Face the topics that trigger you and stop blaming others or anything or anyone in the outer world for how you feel. If you feel off and if situations and people trigger you to feel anything else but good, you got to take inventory and be brave enough to open the closets in your own mind where you have buried shame, fear, guilt, etc. And be willing to go there, to go to that vulnerable place inside of you, in your own heart, in your own mind, and clean up. Take out the stuff that you have put in the closet that you weren't willing to look at. There is no other way but to look at it and clean up your closet. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the LifePurpose.com podcast. If you found this episode valuable, share it with someone that you know needs to hear this. And until next time on the LifePurpose.com podcast.